Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hey, everybody, it's Jody Katz, your host of Where Brains Meet Beauty podcast. Thanks for tuning in. This week's episode features Eve Carr Montparus. She's the founder and CEO of Creole Essence. And if you missed last week's episode, it featured Priya Rao. She's the Glossy Executive Editor and the host of the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Hope you enjoy the shows. Hey, everybody. I am so excited to be here with Eve Carr Montparus. She is the founder and CEO of Creole Essence. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Thank you so much for having me, Jody. I'm so excited we can talk today. I know. This is so great. Okay, so I want to make sure I got your last name pronunciation right. Montparus. Yep, you got it. Perfect. Okay. okay. And Eve told me that sometimes she can be Eve or Eve Carr. So today we've chosen Eve. So if anyone else is calling um, Eve after this, you can call her Eve or Eve Carr. Um, so I'm going to have a little bit of fun with you today because we had a really great um, conversation in our intake call. And um, I'm going to remind you of something that you said to me. You ready for it? I'm ready. Okay. Um, during our call, you told me that you were in the market for a husband. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't know that I've ever started any of my other calls off um, with this, but this is like the essence to when the brand was getting founded. So I thought it would be like a really fun way to um, talk about the journey here. So what does that mean? You were in the market for a husband. So, you know, there, there's a certain age where women tend to get that fever, that itch, if you will, to find a husband um, and settle down. And I had my itch and I said, you know, if I'm going to find a husband, I'm going to this um, event. I asked my hairdresser to straighten my hair. I had this big fro and she did a great job. And as a girl on a mission, uh, the good news is I found the husband, Stefan, which you saw him here helping me set up. And Hi, Stefan. <laughs> she says hello, babe. And she he's also the COO and co-founder of Creole Essence. But the bad news is my hair all fell out after getting it straightened that day. And like any good millennial, the first thing I did was cry. And then the next thing I did was call my mom and asked her, what's that oil you used to use in my hair when I was growing up that pretty much solved all of our problems? And she told me L'huile Masquiti, also known as Haitian castor oil. Um, I went to the stores in Philadelphia searching, but everything that I found on shelves had hexen bleach and other additives. So I begged her to send me some from her Haiti stash, which she did. You know, it's the immigrant pile that you can't find readily available in the U.S. And when she did, I said, I, I should start a business out of this. And I was joking. And she said, actually, that's a great idea. And when we thought about our supply chain, the fact that we would have to work with hundreds of farmers, women, um, as well as to be able to introduce and help people discover the beauty of Haiti. Um, and I'm a product junkie. I love beauty products. Um, that is the beginning of Creole Essence. So um, I love that the story is about, your, about looking for a husband, but it's really about your hair. Um, yeah. right. So, um, why and we need to explore this and I'm not, um, I'm not trained therapist, but I just love to go down the rabbit hole. Um, uh-huh. why, when you were on your journey to find your true love, did you think that straightening your hair was important? Mm-hmm. And, and uh, Jody, it's, it's such a profound question and no one has ever asked me that after I told the story. Um, but in around that time and still today, um, women, particularly women of color, um, feel that 
you it's easier to find a mate and attract someone when your hair is straight. And the idea that in order to be presentable and suitable and look your best, uh, that your hair had to be straightened for it. Subconsciously, not I didn't think about it at the time, but that's exactly what I was exhibiting. What society had taught me years on end is that, well, if you want to look your best, then straighten your hair. So was that like United States society telling you to straighten your hair or was that like Haitian society too also telling you to straighten your hair? Both. The world tells us to straighten our hair uh, all the time. The idea that, um, you know, a woman is more attractive when her hair is straight. Uh, there, there's, there's a bit of a learn, a seductive, and when you think about Eurocentric um, standards of beauty, it's all about having straight hair being a certain size, um, even certain skin colors. It really goes deep into what is it that's portrayed as beautiful every single day. And textured hair is actually still a very new phenomenon for people to celebrate and love. And the idea of just being who you are and kind of like what grows out of your hair, your, your head, um, whether it's, you know, sticking to the grays um, or loving your body as is if you're not a size zero. These are all things that one has to grapple with. And I, in, in society, and I think you get an extra layer if you are a woman of color. And then when you start getting into the subheritage such as being um, Haitian-American, which is what I am. So um, like your mom, your aunt, your grandma, would they have been straightening their hair when you were a kid? Absolutely. So we all grew up, was particularly for special events, which not finding a husband, but it's Easter. And if, you know, uh, if you are going to a communion, you straightened your hair for those special occasions. There was something special about getting the hot comb, uh, which is a comb that would literally be put on fire, if you would think about it. And then um, after that, or if you go to the salon, it's put into a oven um, that the, that is made for professionals. And then grease or, uh, you know, a scalp oil and oil is added to your hair. So think about it. You're frying your hair to be straight, which is not that different than what often is done with a blow dryer and um, a flat iron, right? It's it just at different temperatures. Right. It's just, it's another layer of like, you know, thinking about like I could kick, cook chicken in a, in a pan with oil and heat and you're basically... I mean, I guess, well, I know blow drying and hot tools are not great for your hair, but adding that oil element is, I would imagine, taking the damage to a new level. Right, depending on the level of heat and how much oil you are. You are literally frying your hair. Um, and, you know, that's why the natural movement uh, for women of color, uh, especially as it relates to their hair and moving away from what they call perms or really straighteners. Uh, there's a documentary by Chris Tucker where he shows this chemical that's placed on the hair. Um, it's put on a soda bottle and the soda bottle just disintegrates. And this is what we were putting on our scalp and our hair, all for the, um, you know, love of beauty and that joy to um, either attract the opposite sex or make sure that you fit into society. When you started um, choosing to wear your hair natural, curly, mm -hmm. did your mom and your aunts and your, you know, all the family that like, you know, always wanted to see straight hair for these special occasions, did they kind of rebel against you on this idea? Really good question. Another one I don't get asked very frequently. Yes, they did. Um, you know, I, and this was my second time going natural. I went natural before it was even popular in my teens. And, you know, they thought I was going through a depression. Uh, 
<laughs> when you stop straightening your hair all of a sudden, there's a psychological reason for it. Um, they were wondering, you know, if I was just going through a phase, if you will. And it was very uncomfortable for them to decide that, you know, that I would not straighten my hair and keep up with, you know, uh, the looks du jour. And, you know, but that also went, went from me also deciding for a while I wasn't going to wear makeup. I wasn't going to wear pants. You know, I was also going through just this process of loving myself as is and simplicity. And so all of it probably freaked them out, particularly given my age. Um, but then years later, they all did the same thing. So um, let's let's go back in time because you gave me like so much incredible storytelling about you know your your ambitions and dreams. When I asked you um, when you were a kid, what you want to be when you grew up? You told me a teacher. A teacher, right? So I love this because I love to like you know draw uh, lines to where we are now, and you are a teacher now, right? Through product. Mm -hmm. But um, I love that you told me that um, this um, this time period when you were having conflict. Um, and you went to your um, curly natural hair. Um, it was a time where you're trying to like find, like be vulnerable and find like real relationships in school. Can you t take us back to that time period and what was going on um, inside of you? Sure. So I think, I, and if I recall our conversation, cause it, it was just so in depth. Um, I was probably in the sixth or seventh grade. And of course it's, it's very odd, especially at that time frame to decide to go natural and, you know, do all these things that I said I was doing, such as not wearing pants, jewelry, things that normal kids do. Did you say pants? Did, sorry, Eve, did you say pants? Mm-hmm, correct. Because part of, so Pentecostal is what I grew up, uh, or I couldn't, shouldn't even say grew up. It is the uh, religion that attracted me. And part of that belief was uh, this concept of living, being as simple as possible and taking away all things that could distract and that are not naturally you. So the pants thing, it's, kind of, it's an interesting thought process. I, I don't actually abide by that now, but I think what it did teach me is how much society um, balks against things that are different or against things that you don't see people do every single day. Because it was quite, enough, I had to have so many conversations around my hair, my clothes, why I don't wear makeup, why I don't wear jewelry, and folks trying to understand who I am. And in an effort to connect with folks, um, trying to break that down for them, it, they weren't always receptive um, to it. So again, it taught me how do I stand on my own when no one is around me? Um, how do I find inner strength and inner joy with who I am? And then how do I find peace around all of that when essentially, especially as a teen, work, not work, um, school, home, everyone around me thinks I'm just this weirdo. <laughs> right. So that's a time period, um, like it's middle school age time period where there's like a whole lot of like, you know, trying to understand self. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, in, in my professional experience of watching teen movies and once being a teen, um, it's a time period where like you want to be just like everybody else, but you don't want to be like anybody else, right? There's this like real yeah. like um, tension between these two forces and to be like everybody else and to be liked, I need to have the same hair clips and the same backpack and write the same kind of shoes. Mm -hmm. um, but mm -hmm. then there's that inner conflict to be independent and my own person. And then, um, you know, 
how does that tension work with those friends? Because then when you wear a different hat, then everyone's like, why are you wearing that hat? But I want to wear that hat. Right. But now the hat goes in the closet because nobody likes my hat. There's too much attention on my hat. Right? So it's just like, <laughs> I love teen movies. I actually just watched like, a, I just totally binged a teen show on Netflix called Outer Banks, which is like amazing if you love teen shows. Oh, I'm going to check it out. <laughs> teen angst is always great to watch because it helps you think through. I mean, often I say we're often still fighting and dealing with our inner child. And, mm-hmm. and often when we watch adults act, it's not that different than teenagers. There's always things coming up. Um, so I always think it's a good, healthy exercise to watch teen movies and really reflect why do we do the things that we do. So I love this because you are uh, you were choosing this path that you had to be brave about, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, probably felt a little alone in. Were you able to find your people during that time period? I was. The I my mom, so I before I went through my I guess uh spiritual awakening, uh it's because my mom and I had so much tension at home. So when she didn't know what else to do with me, someone said, there's this youth group and there's this lady that's really good with kids. <laughs> you know, she had no idea why this lady was good with kids. So she was like, I'm dropping you off there and I'll come pick you up. I don't know, at like five o'clock. And uh, to her, to her chagrin, but also her joy, it was this youth group that I completely felt comfortable in. Uh, there were other young women there. It was mostly women who also were going through their own own journey and trying to find self and try to be true to self. And I don't know, at that young age, we just had so much feeling, so many things that um, we were trying to work through. And we had each other as a support network. It was a safe environment. And we also had an opportunity to explore um, being committed to something larger than us. And in that, in that regard, it was spirituality and also how do we serve others in the world, which I never thought about that, Jody, uh, until you said that. So those were my people, but I only got to see them once a week, <laughs> sometimes twice. So, and there was no WhatsApp group back then. So during the week at school was tough. But I always had them to lean on for us to talk about what is our experience, how do we support one another. And then we were also kids, so we laughed, we joked, and ate lots of good Haitian food. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So um, tell me what your mom's reaction was, because she 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 sought um, help and support through this youth group, where then you're like... Not doing this to my hair anymore, right? Let's forget about the mm-hmm. pants and the jewelry. Like, I'm not straightening my hair anymore. Um, what what kind of um, added conflict did that create in your relationship at that time? So I think for her, all of a sudden, she felt a that her child belonged to someone else. So there was another mother because it, you know she's like, oh, you you trust this woman, you talk to her, you guys are connecting in a way that I don't understand. And I think there was also that added, um, I call it that the Haitian expectation that your child does what you tell them to do. And that's why she brought me to the youth group, really, is to, is to um, you know, kind of straighten me, straighten me up, if you will, and get me back to that expectation that kids are kids, they follow the rules. And in Haiti, and in the time that she grew up, you know, you wear ribbons and are just the most pleasant child and do whatever your parents want up until you're about 25 and have your own kids and, you know, you're married off. So to have this teenager, 
you know, being her own person was, I think, very scary for her. Uh, in, in, and she's a type A personality, which is where I get it from. Uh, <laughs> uh, and not being able to, to chart my path. I think she was scared and it was scary for her. So, um, you know, to a, a seventh grader, hair isn't always a symbol of like inner strength, right? It's, um, do my friends like it? Does, am I doing what the YouTuber is doing? Um, I guess for some kids, like, you know, does the, um, does the gender I'm interested in like my hair, right? Like it, it could mean a lot of things, but I don't know. It's not like usually like the nose ring or the piercing or the, the tattoo kind of rebellion, right? So it's so interesting that you chose um, hair as a way to say, this is who I am. And then years later built a brand to help support women take care of their hair. But I think it's actually, that's not factual because if you think about when people dye their hair, that's a big that's statement true. of yes, who I that's am. That's true. I forgot about, you right? know, what? I think that um, in my mind, maybe because I'm in the beauty industry, dyeing hair, like uh -huh. pink, pink as a sixth grader is like, oh, okay, that's fine. Like it doesn't, to me, it doesn't like. Oh, but if you think about it back back yeah. in the day, a parent yeah. would be like, my child is now engaging in, in you know, drugs and you know violence or what have you what are you a punker like what's happening that you are you have pink hair and i went through to this interesting seminar about hair because at first i actually thought it was more around women of color particularly when you start thinking about the black community because hair means a lot hair um, speaks about your status the type or texture of your hair um, you know, there, there's such a, there's such a, a word, um, that was prominent in African American communities, such as good hair. So if you had kinkier hair, meaning your hair didn't curl up and it was just like this big puff, that wasn't celebrated. That's being celebrated now. So it's never been just hair. But then I also went to this workshop where members of the native, um, American, the native American Indian community were talking about what their hair means to them. And someone who was bullied and had their hair cut and what that meant for them, because hair is considered a sign of strength and glory and what the religious connotation was there for her. And then I heard people talking about the coloring and there were just all these people that hair meant something so different from them. And then if you think about the cancer patient, what happens when they lose their hair? Right. Um, and how do you and going through the process of wearing wigs? Hair is also a, is often associated with femininity. So it's never, I think, just hair. I think it means different things to different people and different communities have different relationships with hair. And before you started the brand, did you have a job in hair? No, absolutely not. So my um, background is actually in nonprofit management. And you can look all across the different jobs I've had, whether I've been, you know, the project coordinator for New Jersey Immigration Policy Network, or if I've worked at Cornell University and the University of Pennsylvania, which are esteemed universities in their business department, if you will, being um, alumni affairs to figure out how do you keep those who have graduated connected to the university and having strong relationships and, and donating. All of it has been around um, service. And I think also making sure that those who do not have a voice, that there is someone speaking up for them or with them or, and, and making sure that there's a space at the table for them uh, in these institutions. So at Cornell, I was the director of diversity um, in alumni affairs. 
So I think that's mostly what my background is focused on. And really, I was in the school of government at Penn, and, and I really was on the, uh, you know, service track, government track, if you will. Okay, so um, was this another moment for your, your mom and your aunts and everyone to be like, what are you doing? <laughs> Absolutely. So here I am, you know, I've achieved the six-figure, you know, dream. Some things that my parents, you know, well, have never made. And um, I, I am secure, I'm stable. And then I tell them I am quitting my job to start a brand focused on products from Haiti. That did not go over well. My dad still today, I don't know if I told you, he still asks every day, is the business doing okay? Aww. Are you guys still selling? Are people still buying? Like he's still visibly and genuinely worried. So that did not go well. Now my mom is in business and she's a consummate business person. And after she thought about it, she actually was the one who encouraged me to continue on. And she's a risk taker. So it was interesting to have that dichotomy where my mom was like, I think you can make this work. She was the one who took the first trips with me to Haiti to, cut, to, to talk to the women and win the, their trust on how to make the oil. Uh, she gave me ideas and, and thoughts around uh, when I should focus, uh, you know, if she noticed that I was drifting. And my dad actually is the one. He's a teacher. He has six siblings that he had to take care of. So this idea that I could make the decision that I was going to start a business because I wanted to, um, and he's a math teacher, and but he loved comic books and he writes and he's just one of these interesting folks who for work is very scientific and mathematical, but in his what gives him joy is the arts and creativity. And that was always a tension for him. And I think it was interesting for, him, for me to just decide I was going to do what I love and what I felt passionate about. Well, um, I want to back up a little bit because you talked about, um, you know, manufacturing in Haiti. Um, so you told me that your, your commitment was um, finding out how you can create a profitable business in a poor country. So mm -hmm. share with me the, the thought process journey in um, getting to, to the place where you're working with people in Haiti. Sure. So in addition to that hair catastrophe, and I talked about the supply chain uh, for Crayol Essence. So my, the thing that really gets me up in the morning is, am I making a tangible mark in the world? And are there people that I can provide some service for. And Haiti is often known as the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere for a number of reasons. Um, but one of the things that we don't do is we don't export anything. We pretty much bring everything in. Um, so that was one way we thought about how do we help the GDP of the country is to actually export things and, and do so in a manner that allows us to respect the, the, the producer and the farmers by not cheapening the product, uh, by making sure it's kept authentic and being very um, visible around it being made in Haiti because a country has to brand itself. Often when people see me on vacation, they're like, where are you, Jamaica? And I'm like, no, this is Haiti. So even branding the country and associating it with beauty where you don't think about negative negativity. You think about, you know, the biodiversity in, in Haiti, which most people don't know about. It's one of the most biodiverse countries in the um, Caribbean. Uh, when you're looking at our beaches and, and our formulas, it's so rich, 
in that, it, it's uh, helpful for people to have a different relationship with Haiti versus just aid. The other thing is, you know, the, the cycle of donations, it's one that keeps people down. And when you give someone a dollar and, and they don't have a job the next day, they're going to need to come back to you for that dollar. So that idea that through our business that we can create work that's sustainable, not a project that's going to be here for a year or two, or, you know, you have Anderson Cooper or Sean Penn, someone coming in, which they all do great work in terms of visibility, but something that's going to last, whether the world is looking or not, is where there can be fair exchange. And there's nothing like our great Haitian castor oil or Haitian moringa oil to hook someone in. And that's how you create work in um, the country. So, so that's really what keeps me passionate in addition to great beauty products, is the fact that we can help to change an entire country and also create a blueprint for poverty alleviation around the world. Because as we're successful, this becomes a blueprint that people can follow and build upon um, for years to come. And I'm excited about that. Okay, so this is such an interesting um, thought. In addition to branding the hair products, you're really... Um move trying to move the conversation around haiti as a as an, a country forward right like that's a heavy lift right um but you, you can do that through beauty i see how i see how those um lines are connected yes and i can't say i wish i, I could say i was just genius and it just happened i i had this whole master plan and it all came together um, you know, in a blink in an eye, but it's just the more that we did with the company, the more we shared our story with people that the line started to make sense. And even now, right, there's the Haiti piece. And, uh, you know, as we're looking at racial equity, right, in, in the world with the Black Lives Matter movement, well, part of as we were looking at what do we do, what is our, um, you know, piece in the conversation, our products are focused for those with dry hair, dry skin, and textured hair, right? So we have a very diverse group of folks who use our products from white to Asian to Latino to black. But the idea that we are also focused on dealing with dryness, that means there is no way you're not going to see people of color represented and be a focus in our brand. And uh, in Clean Beauty, which we are a clean beauty brand, we're a wellness brand, there is a, a lack of products that are centered and focused for these communities. So when we start thinking about racial equity as well, Creole Essence, by nature of who we are and being inclusive, that's what we've always done. Um, but here's another social inflection point that a beauty brand, uh, I think, has a lot to, to play in and, and has a, a way to help shape that conversation by virtue of who we are saying she's important. Right. I mean, think about um, France, like we associate France with like beautiful fragrances. Right. So like, yeah, um, it, it's the, the, the country of origin of whether it's the ingredient or the innovation is as important to the product story as the goop in the jar. Right. Exactly. Um, exactly. This is so fascinating. So, um, you know, I love to hear about progress. So, um, you know, what when it comes to, you know, quick creating this manufacturing and economies of shipping products out of the country instead of in the country. Um, what's like the one piece of progress that you've noticed that you're most proud of from the past few years of doing this? Uh, I guess there are maybe 
I'll say three of them, three quick ones. One, in the country itself, this idea that Haitian castor oil was often thought of as something that only poorer folks used. And even if you were at a, at a particular um, economic bracket, you knew its virtue, so everyone kept it in their cabinet for when they were sick, right? It was medicinal, right? That, that's when you got to it, where it's kind of like, oh, I'm sick, bring it on, bring it on. And now to see how it's revered and how folks appreciate the product, both in country and here, it changes the dynamics of what's, what's luxury, uh, uh, what works, and how we define who brings about those innovations. The other thing I should say is I'm a woman running a manufacturing facility, farming, exporting, and is a head of a multi-million dollar company. That's not normal in Haiti. <laughs> so when I go onto the field and, you know, the men are, are coming to discuss with the business owner, uh, you know, details, I'll be with my staff and they'll walk right past me. They'll just like go to someone else. And my team will often say, well, you need to talk to her. She, she owns the company. She's the boss. So they'll ask for final approval. And just the look on their face that, again, this dark-skinned girl who's young, who's probably old enough to be their daughter, it just completely confuses folks. And be, I do get a chuckle out of that. But what I love is when I get girls who say, you look just like me. So if you can do this, I certainly can. And I know that feeling of seeing someone who um, represents me or has a story similar to me and who looks like me is just something so powerful about what you will take on in the world with just knowing that fact. So I'm really proud of that. The other thing I'm proud of is to see Creole Essence on mainstream shelves. Like we just did a partnership and a launch with Ulta Beauty and we're, I thought it was 1300 stores, we're at 1600 stores and we're sold out and we're working really hard to get products back on shelf and we we shattered all of our numbers in our in the first few weeks of launch and i'm extremely proud of that because i never wanted the company because we have such a social mission to be seen as less than a real business you know i'm looking at my numbers i'm looking at my pnl i'm looking at my gross margins i'm looking at the business side of the business just like any other entrepreneur but often when you have such a strong social mission they're like oh you're really a nonprofit. you just want to do good in the world they're there good girl um where it's like no i i'm just as passionate about scaling and getting to 100 million as other entrepreneurs in tech and other fields so i'm extremely Excited to see the business continue to grow and scale and be profitable um, as a social as a social business. Well, um, you and I met, I think it was like two years ago, and I was so excited to meet you then. And I'm like super even more excited because like I didn't I didn't realize that the product was more than product, right? I didn't realize it was yeah. uh, creating, you know, a, a new form of economy in an impoverished country. I didn't know it was giving an opportunity to people who have never seen that kind of opportunity in their, you know, families or their neighborhoods, right? So mm -hmm. um, it's, it's really cool to hear your spirit and your ambition. Um, it's also so cool that you did find that husband and he's part of the business too. <laughs> you know, that's awesome. And I could not do it without him. And I have to say, Stefan is, is God sent in so many ways. Um, cause I'm a little crazy and he keeps me grounded. 
But also when we had to decide our channel strategy for the business, he was bullish that we go mass each prestige and not mass, mm-hmm. um, which was an interesting also process for me to get to because I never saw products for me outside of Walmart, Target, you know, Target, we all love a good Target run, um, and beauty supply stores. So when he said, the first place I see us is Credo and Detox Market and for us to be on Alta shelves and Goop and these, you know, amazing retailers who was going to treat our community in the way that we felt that she should be treated. And mostly because I, I never ended up, you know, not having hair issues. Here I am working at Cornell. I'm speaking to millionaires, billionaires and raising money. I need to look presentable. And I could never find you know, the right hairdresser when I was in the city for uh, for my hair. I was always having to do things myself. Um, and he was just like, you deserve to be able to walk into a salon and groom and, and find clean beauty products just like your colleagues do. So this is the channel that we need to focus on. And that's another point of contention where our community was just like, why aren't you at Target? Like, why aren't you at Walmart? Why isn't that where you're going? Um, and he's really the one I, I credit for for be seeing where we needed to go. I love it. Okay, my last question for you, of course, uh-huh. it's going to be about your mom. Does she still straighten her hair? <laughs> she does not, unless it's a special occasion. Uh, and I will say we're not anti-straightening hair. Uh, it, it's something we talk a lot about with our tribe, which is the Creole Essence community, is I don't believe in hair shaming. And I think it can go either way. It's just kind of like in the clean beauty industry where it's kind of like, we will not use, you know, phenoxyethanol at all. You know, well, now we're like, okay, well, maybe less than 1%. Um, you know, and silicones are horrible, but well, but maybe in certain skincare products where it needs to do certain things. So I think like anything in life, it's moderation. And what we talk about is healthy hair and making sure that if you are going to straighten it, make sure that you protect, make sure you're not doing it um, too frequently and that you're just using good measures, good technique, as well as good products to support the overall health of your hair, your skin, and you as an individual. Um, so she does do it from time to time, but not every day and not frequently. Right. Well, I don't want you to think that I'm shaming anybody. I just want people to no, no, sure. move through the world feeling um, as tied to who they truly are as possible. If that means yes. straight or curly or zigzag or whatever mm-hmm. we want, you know, wherever they're going. Um, I lived for many years doing what was expected of me without actually having um, any true feelings. You know, I, bur- I buried them down. So I just love it when people get to be who they are. Yes. There's nothing more powerful, beautiful than to see someone feel peace in their skin and in whatever way that is, as you know, we just, I just want people to be healthy to do that. Well, this is so amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today, Eve. This is amazing. Thank you so much for having me and for all your great insights, Jody. I'm going to have to call you more so you can analyze, you know, my life and decisions. And like what teen <laughs> TV shows I'm watching. Exactly. Um, And for our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this interview with Eve. Please subscribe to our series on iTunes. And for updates about the show, follow us on Instagram at Where Brains Meet Beauty Podcast. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.